Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Asalaamu Alaikum and welcome to Smart Muslim Podcast. My name is Farhat Amin. I am an author and a podcaster. I've been running this podcast for I think it's been over at least four, maybe even five years now. And Alhamdulillah, thank you for all your du'as. Thank you for leaving your reviews on Apple Podcasts. Please continue to do so. And, you know, hit the subscribe button if you like what you're listening to. Share it on WhatsApp and you can share it on Instagram. My handle is farhatthameen underscore UK. If you would like to find out more about my books, then visit smartmuslima.com. All of them are available on Amazon and from all good Muslim bookstores. Inshallah, let's begin the podcast. There's two issues that I'd like to focus on. One is... Um, questions that you have um, about Islam that your children have asked you and you haven't known how to answer them and I think all of us face that kind of you know that situation at different times and I think it would be nice I wish I had been able to go to a resource that would help me with questions and it's not just the uh, I, you know, questions that little kids ask us I think that it gets harder as our kids become older you know, once they reach the teen years. And so that's something now I have teenage kids. So I have been through all of that. And I'm also a high school teacher. Having said that, I'm in no way am I saying or putting myself forward as any kind of expert or perfect example of motherhood. And I've made plenty of mistakes. But in a way, because I've made those mistakes, I want like I've said before, I want you guys to learn from my mistakes. So there are questions, and I think nowadays more than ever, our children are facing a lot of pressures to doubt Islam, to question Islam. And what I want I want to speak about, to begin with, the reasons why. 
our children are questioning Islam more than maybe we did when we were younger. And I'm in my 40s, so if anyone's in that age range, you know, um, but for our children who are, who are growing up now, I think it's a very di um, difficult time for them. Having said that, I think there is definitely hope and we should always have hope in Islam and hope in Allah that we can, you know, um, get over this issue. We can, there is a solution and that those answers to those questions do come from the Quran and Sunnah. And I, so although it is an issue for us, but we face issues every day, you know, the issue of what am I going to cook for dinner? You know, how am I going to sort out my wardrobe? You know, there's so many questions we have and we just in the way we can find an answer to them. This isn't such a massive problem that we can't do something about it. And um, so that's, yeah, that's one of the main things that I'll be speaking about in this um, season. And then also I have been interviewing some mums that I think are, I really like what they're doing. And I think it's nice to hear you know, whether it's inspirational stories from other mums in our situation, and they're not super mums, they're not, you know, they're not really famous either. So it's achievable. And it's just to give you and me ideas on if there's something I'd like to do, um, whether it's write a book, start a blog, um, change my career, ideas on raising kids. They're the kind of women, they're the kind of mums, normal mums, just like me and you, that I want to interview. Okay, so let's begin with um, what's causing Muslim teenagers to question Islam. That's what I'm going to speak about today. And this is a big topic, so I'm going to do this in parts. Now, you know, you're like me. As a Muslim parent, we want to teach our kids about our deen. We do our best to create an Islamic atmosphere in our home. And, you know, we send them to madrasa, we teach them to pray salah, we teach them to read Quran. You know, these are all things, the certain things that all of us are doing, alhamdulillah. You know, we are really trying our best. But then, you know, there comes a point where our kids, as they get older, they go through puberty, they become more curious, they ask questions that they didn't, you know, before they would accept the answers we were giving them. But now they're thinking more independently. So, you know, they're kind of you know they're pushing the boundaries a bit so why you know these are common things why do I have to study so much you know I used to get all the time uh why do I have my tidy room you know the room smells it's a bit of a pigsty but they can't see you know basic hygiene is a problem now we need to you need to clean your room up why do I need to clean my room why do I need to open the windows in my room um okay what's wrong with being on my phone till 1am 12 o'clock in the night um, again, these are these are the questions we get. Um, now, as well as that, you know, that's every day question. We get questions about Islam, and you know, things like I don't know why do I have to wear hijab? You know, why do I have to fast during when it's exam time? You know, they're looking at their other friends and thinking it's not fair. You know, why can't I sleep over at my non-Muslim friend's house? You know, that's something. I've, I've definitely heard that from friends of mine, that their kids, they just don't get it. Why can't I just, um, why can't I do what every other normal kid does? Why is it that Islam is so strict and has so many rules? So these are all issues. I feel if you've had the, these questions, I really do feel for you. You are not alone and you're not a bad parent for um, if you, you know, you're in the situation, you don't know what to do. So 
but now, okay, we get these questions and I personally don't think it's a problem that our Muslim teenagers are asking these questions, that our kids ask these questions. I think it's a problem when we can't give them a clear answer, which is based on Islam. Um, I think that is, and um, because the thing is that if we're saying to them, okay, you can't go to that party at your friend's house, you can't wear a short skirt as part of your uniform to school, you know, I don't want you to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know, um, I, I don't think, you know, if they they may have a, 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 a friend that's gay or, you know, they've watched something on the TV where there's a homosexual relationship and they're thinking, oh, I don't, I don't think it's so bad. What's, you know, they love each other. What's wrong with that? Now, if we're now going to give them an art, say to them, no, there is a problem. We should have, be able to explain, um, why that is the issue in Islam. And I'm not saying here that we should be able to give reasons for everything. And this is something we'll look at a bit more deeply later, uh, because sometimes there isn't a reason. Um, and it's more to do, you know, so, but what I am saying, so just as a very quick side point, someone might say, if we say to our children, um, we can't eat pigs because they're dirty. That's something I've, I've heard parents give us a reason. Um, now then someone could say, well, what if the pig is really clean? It was raised in a laboratory, you know, super clean. Does, can we eat it then? So... That's just to illustrate every to every rule um, that Allah gives us, it doesn't have a reason. To be honest, in the Quran, Allah says we can't, as Muslims, we can't eat um, pig is haram, and, and we don't know why. There's no reason given in Islam, in the Quran or Sunnah, why. That it, it is, it's a matter of, it's do we obey our creator or not? That That's what it is. It's do we submit without question to to the rules and the laws. So that's just something to think about. That, um, so, right, let's go on to, um, now, how do some parents react and how may we, me and you, have reacted to when we have been given, um, get asked difficult questions? Sometimes we get angry. Let's be honest. And the anger can come from, either we're thinking, I never asked my parents these questions, so why are you being so feisty? and um, disrespectful to me and asking me these questions. You know, it's the idea, how dare you? How dare you question me? It's that idea. Or we can think, why are you questioning Islam? How dare you question Allah? How dare you question the Prophet, wasallam? You know, that can be um, our reaction. And let's just remember, anger comes from shaitan. Yeah, shaitan wants us to be angry. Um, He's, you know, he wants to cause problems in families, um, you know, to disrupt the family. And because what's that going to, if we all get angry, you know, I must admit, in your heart, you may feel angry. And in a way, it's, that's not a bad thing to feel unhappy. But getting angry, and I have learned from experience, getting angry doesn't achieve anything. Yeah. So we're not going to get angry. (coughs) Another way we can act is we end up giving a bit of a wishy-washy, unconvincing answer because we just don't know how to answer it. But we think, I have to say something, you know, I'm going to, I can't just say nothing. Um, But again, I'd say let's not do that because it's better to say, you know what, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know, 
but I'm going to find out. That doesn't decrease your um, what how the kids view you. They'll actually respect you more because you're saying in the same way, you know, when they have homework and they have to do research to find out the answers. That's what we say to our kids. Go and find the answer out. You have to research it. Um, that's what we're saying we're going to do. Um, now, the other third option that parents can do is we just give in because we think, you know what, I have got so much on my plate, whether it's work, housework, um, just problems, my own problems going on in my life. And I just don't have the energy, the time or the patience to deal with you and battle with you over everything. So fine, just go, go and do it. You want to go out, go out, just come back at nine. You know, you want to go out with your friends or you know just don't just don't take drugs well you know there might be something we say do this but you know what don't go so bad <clears throat> and now so all those three options I would say none of them are right none of them are right none of them are healthy none of them are good for your child and they're not it's in Islam they're not you're not doing Islam a justice by opting for any of those three so um now before I start to before I can tackle the issue of, okay, how do we answer our, you know, our kids' difficult questions about some, I want to look about look at <clears throat> what kind of um, environment have our kids been raised in? Now, I'm not judging. When I talk about this, I'm not passing judgment on you or on Muslim communities or on anyone. I'm just going to outline how I see um, the situation, our, our environment and the kind of um, un-Islamic influences that our children, my children as well, remember that, my kids are raised in the UK, what kind of un-Islamic influences do they have in their lives and <clears throat> I'm not scaremongering or trying to paint an overly negative image but I want, what I want to outline are the factors that are subtly chipping away at our kids confidence in islam that that's what i want i really want it's like i want to open all of our eyes up to look at what where our kids are living and what they're having to go through um and so we need to you know and so again i like i said i don't want anyone to feel um depressed or negative or think oh my god this is such a massive problem by listening to this podcast I want us to just understand our situation so we can then do something with Allah's help, you know, about this. And I'd just like to mention the hadith here. Anas ibn Malik reported, a man said, O Messenger of Allah, should I tie my camel and trust in Allah or should I leave her untied and trust in Allah? The Prophet وسلم, said, tie her and trust in Allah. And that's reported in the book of Tirmidhi. So this is the attitude I have adopted and I love you guys to, to really take on board as well that when it comes to our kids, we're going to understand the situation that they're living in. So we're tying our camel and then we're going to do the war and we're going to do what we can in our control. Yeah, we're going to do our best, the best we can to help our kids. So, right now, let's begin by looking at the reality of the liberal society that our kids are being raised in. And I'll explain what liberalism um, 
is and basically I'll just explain it here to be so when you're lib liberal society means um and that's all non-muslim um countries um it's um liberalism if you believe in liberty it means that you um like morality being good or bad as a human being really depends on maximizing freedom and maximizing personal choice and that's what the society UK and US that's the kind of society we live in where um the philosophers who came up with the idea of liberalism were atheists and this was in England uh, mainly and in Europe and um what they say is that so um it because this system of liberalism it became the predominant system within Europe um it's like 18th and 19th century and what time um and what they were saying was that really we don't need god in our lives we can figure out what's right and wrong and um and we will decide you know that what he said what is happiness how do we define happiness um so we're living and so from the countries that we all live in now in europe and in america we live in a liberal society that believes that that people you know decide how we should behave what kind of you know whether it's food clothing relationships who we love who we um what we want to do with our time people decide that so that's what our we us and our kids that's the kind of society that we're living in millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, so... Now, let's think back a bit to when our parents, so whether it was our parents or our grandparents, um, when they first came to the UK, or to Europe or to US, um, when they came, it, they had a cho- um, choices to make. And that if they were going to live in this country, how are they going to survive? How are they going to get jobs? How are they going to face the racism that they all faced how are they going to stay um keep their islam and studies have been done on this that when immigrants um and even nowadays um new immigrants to this country to to this country muslim immigrants when they come to live in a non-muslim country they start to dampen down their cultural um and their islamic identity and there are reasons why I'm not blaming them for doing that. They do that to, as I said, to be able to work, to be able to raise their families. 
So now one of the areas that they begin to dampen down is language. So, um, for example, they learn English, well, some of them do, which is a good thing. But in general, their children usually, this is the children of immigrants, so our grandparents and parents, their children usually don't speak their mother tongue in public. Most often children can understand their parents' mother tongue, but cannot speak it fluently. So as an example, my family, my parents both spoke Urdu and English. That's because they went to university in Pakistan. They made sure I knew Urdu and they would speak to me in Urdu. I would sometimes speak to them in Urdu back, but I would speak back to them mainly in English because I was going to school in England now. So, um, so now when me and my husband had our kids, now we then both speak to each other in English. And so our kids, their first language is English. So they have um, lost the connection to Urdu. And although, um, now someone could say, big deal, so what? Can't speak Urdu. Um, but what we need to remember is there is a connection. Your parents' mother tongue, there's a connection to your cultural heritage. And our cultural heritage includes Islam. So when I would go back to Pakistan for holiday, I would feel a connection to my family. The fact that I could speak Urdu to my... I then would pick up Urdu quite quickly. I'd forget my confidence in Urdu. So that meant I could speak to my uncles and aunties and my cousins. My grandparents passed away. But there was a connection, and that connection definitely had a foundation in Islam. But the thing that connected me was because I could speak Urdu to my Muslim relatives. Yeah, And I know it had a big impact on me not feeling... English and not feeling so and I was and it made me feel knowing Urdu made me feel Muslim I don't know if you guys have had the same experience you know you can let me know um by the way anyway you can contact me by email it's info at mus sorry info at farhatamin.com that's i-n-f-o at f-a-r-h-a-t a-m-i-n dot com so if you so i'd love to know what you think about what i'm saying okay so now one good thing here though is um if you're if the you know this trend amongst children is usually reversed if their mother was born in a muslim country you know in a non-english speaking country or they live with their grandparents who then speak to them in their heritage language now it's interesting there's um in the blog post that i've got connected to this um podcast um i've got down there are some links to studies which prove illustrate what i'm saying so you can have a look at that if you go to my blog um so right okay so let's just moving on so okay one of the things that is lost so language second thing cultural clothing so things like shalwar kameez you know the hijab or in arabic sense the khimar and the abaya or the jilbab saris gurtas etc uh, um these are all when so when in, when our grandparents and parents come here they begin to slowly swap those clothes for just you know neutral clothing so trousers shirts dresses this anything that doesn't make them stand out and so then what happens is culturally traditional clothes are reserved for weddings eid and funerals we can observe that the older generation who spent the majority of their lives in a Muslim country continue to wear their traditional clothes. For example, grandparents do not adopt clothing they see as immodest and the clothes of non-Muslims. So now, you know, again, think back to when you were 
younger, how acceptable, how comfortable did you feel wearing your um, traditional clothes to school? You know, maybe that was before um, non-uniform, you know, uniforms, but even on the non-uniform day, would you go wearing your Indian, Asian, Pakistani, um, Arab clothing? I, I certainly didn't. Um, now, now let's think of the for our kids then in public. Do you know our kids? They adopt um, the view that they don't fit. They need to fit in as well. They don't want to look like they're you know fresh off the boat. You know they um, they just want they desperately want to fit in, and you know it's interesting that um, Americans and Europeans they'll say it, they'll think it's so exotic and quaint to wear. Indian clothes or um, I know there's different times you'll notice in fashion they'll have like um, influences of a Indian clothing or um, Moroccan clothing prints and they think it's so you know cool and, and hipster to, to do that every now and again but for the people who are so for a Moroccan for a Indian to then wear a sari to to work or you know whatever is the clothing that someone wants to wear to work that isn't seen as acceptable it's seen as no you need to wear what we wear um we don't want you showing your identity too much and again in the blog i've got an interesting um, link to something uh, a young girl wrote about this so again if you think of why am i going why is cultural clothing important um again if you um if our kids they feel comfortable wearing what kind of clothes are teenagers your average teenager in the uk and us wear it's tight clothes, yeah, girls and boys, it's short tops, it's, you know, again, short skirts, it's sleeveless, it's, um, it's basically not modest at all. It's stuff with, um, whether it's rude images or um, rude words on, on the t-shirts, it's, you know, and it's very provocative for, for girls at the moment, um, I'm not sure what it, can there, is there provocative clothing for boys? I don't know. You know, maybe really tight jeans, that's provocative. But again, you're, they're swapping, in their mind, they've seen their grandparents and parents adopt um, um, clothing to, to fit in. And then they do the same as well. So we can't, you know, when we say to our kids, we want you to wear more modest clothing, or we don't want you wearing those tight jeans. I think we do have to think, well, what are we wearing what message are we giving to them? Yeah, no, now, again, I'm not judging you here, but I am, I'm, I'm giving you advice, sincere advice. And, um, you know, one of the um, reasons why I started this podcast was uh, based on the teachings of um, Surah, um, I don't want to, Surah Asr, um, that if we look at, you know, Allah says in, um, so, so that um, I'm just bringing it up I don't want to quote it incorrectly here we go that by time the human being is in loss except those who believe and do good works and encourage truth and recommend patience so what I'm doing when I say things I'm that I'm basing on that I'm giving I want us to believe I want us to all do good works and we need to encourage each other to to follow Islam, to be, to obey Allah. So I'm not judging anyone here and I'm not saying I'm perfect. Okay, so let's just move on now. The other big thing when is um, that our kids face 
and they've seen is that when their parents and grandparents came here um we become we they they lose their as part of their religious identity especially the public now every western country is secular and what this means is religion is seen to be a personal matter and it should not impact on public life you know government should not listen to religion shouldn't affect government policy and everyone can practice whatever religion they want at home but you shouldn't um it shouldn't affect public life so in the uk and european countries we can observe a large proportion of people are not openly religious and i've got some um again i've got another link to some data carried out by the um, office for national statistics and just um and what it says here is um According to the data, the number of Brits who say they have no religion has increased by 46% over the last seven years. That makes non-religious people the fastest growing group in the country. So, and I think we can all see this. I think US is different because there is, um, they can be quite, you'll get areas which are very um, evangelical, very pro-religion, but in the UK, church attendance is definitely going down. You have churches closing down because no one's, no one's going there. And the one thing you notice, people don't openly talk about their religious views. It's not something you talk about. They're not overtly religious. So religion is very personal. So when first-generation Muslim immigrants live in such a, in a secular society, obviously they're affected by this mentality and dampen down their religious identity in public. However, what we can observe for Muslims anyway is that they do their best to keep their religious identity at home, which alhamdulillah is a brilliant thing. So that's the that's what I want. They're the three factors. So you've got lang loss of language, our cultural language, you've got our cultural clothing gets swapped, and we are live, you know, our religious identity, we start to dampen it down. Now, some people um I'm just going to look let's just look at muslim countries for a second um now um you know we um in muslim majority countries there is more support to encourage and um to encourage maintenance of islamic faith and practice there's a stronger islamic atmosphere because of the mosques we have the religious education religious holidays being celebrated communally you know, offices and shops change their hours um, during Ramadan. There's Jummah, which is a day off for everyone. You know, you've also got the strong family bonds because you've got extended family or families living nearby and they take care of each other. You know, they they the f kids see more um, positive examples around them, you know, and um, they're, they're learning their language. You know, they dress more modestly overall. And the the overall effect is that they feel more comfortable and confident about being Muslim. Now, I'm not saying Muslim societies are perfect, not at all. Um, and, you know, we can just see as thing, there's no Muslim country that rules by Islam, obeys Allah's, you know, has a, a political system, which is Islam, based on Islam. None of them do, not Saudi, not Pakistan, not Iran. So I'm not saying they're perfect, but what we can see is overall Muslim teenagers raised in Muslim countries are proud of their cultural and Islamic heritage. 
Um, so I'm going, I'm not going to go into, um, I'm going to end it here really that, because I think this, what I've said is quite a lot to think about. And the, I, uh, I want, I'd really like you to let me know what you think of what I've said so far and it help and just ponder over, look, this is what our children and even us really, that we have grown up we are growing up in this environment where our, you know, Islam is not um, in, in our society. It's not, um, it's not on the TV. It's not um, being, we are not being encouraged. No, no one is encouraging us, you know, from non, the non-Muslim society we're living in to follow Islam. So our kids, of, I think it's inevitable that our kids then are not feeling so confident. Now, you may say straight away to me that, hold on, um, but we can see there are more Muslim women and girls wearing hijab, wearing a, a scarf on their head. We've got lots of mosques in, our, in, in the UK. We have halal meat. You can go to areas, I can name them, Walthamstow in London, Birmingham, um, Bradford, um, Leicester, where there are large Muslim communities and there's a lot of good going on there. And what I would say to you is, you are completely right. Yes, there are. And I think, uh, and, I, and there's a lot of good work um, happening that um, to maintain the, you know, the faith of Muslim kids and ourselves. And people, because Alhamdulillah, people realise when you come here, you can't just leave. We have to do something. We have to build mosques. We have to educate our kids we have to have islamic schools alhamdulillah and i say alhamdulillah to all of that but what um I, what i'm even despite having those things um and that i think those things are helping definitely helping um us as parents we need to realize our kids are going through um it's not easy for them and so we need to before we can think of solutions um what we can do let's just take a bit of time to understand um, the environment and maybe think about um, what I've said that am I in my home and even in you know like for example I'm not you can't you can't turn the clock back and suddenly teach your kids um, Urdu or Bengali or things like that if you haven't if you have done those things then well done you alhamdulillah good good for you and keep it up but maybe think of, you know, the connections that, um, how can I connect my children to their grandparents' language so they can speak to their grandparents? Yeah, how, how much of a connection do they have to their relatives back home? Yeah, um, and I know, alhamdulillah, a lot of us are really good uh, that we will take our kids back home. Um, but, you know, there should be, how, you know, as far as... Um, their religious identity and our religious identity how that's something for you to think how strong is that and are we are you and am I giving our kids what are we doing to preserve their religious identity that that's something that you you know um to ponder over okay so inshallah next the following podcast I'm going to speak about other factors in particular um what kind of um how friends influence um our children how um 
you know, living in an area where there aren't that many Muslims, what effect does that have? Also, what kind, you know, the effect of the media and, um, you know, the kind of news and headlines our kids are hearing. And then also, I'm going to talk more about liberalism and liberal ideas and how they are affecting us. Okay, so inshallah, um, send again, my uh, website is uh, com. Inshallah, I would genuinely love to know what you think about what I've said. And if there are any topics that you would like me to discuss, then please get in touch uh, by email. Okay then, assalamu alaikum, take care. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.